Bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is a special midterm election edition of Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is the special midterm election edition of Tax Credit Tuesday. Today's special edition podcast will focus on the election results and how they affect the various tax credit communities that we serve. Now, more specifically, I'll look at what the election results could mean for congressional leadership positions, as well as leadership and membership changes in key House and Senate committees. I'll also talk about legislative priorities that we can expect to see in the lame duck session and in the new Congress. If you're ready, let's get started. Going into yesterday's midterm election, most prognosticators expected to see a split Congress next year. And that's what we got. All 435 House seats were up for election, And going into Tuesday, Republicans held 236 seats, Democrats had 193 seats, and six seats, two Democrat-held and four Republican-held seats, were vacant. And in order to take the majority, Democrats needed to flip 23 seats. 23 seats had to go on a net basis from Republican to Democrat. And they did just that, and then some more. Now, according to the Associated Press, Democrats won 220 seats. Democrats now have a majority of 27 seats compared to 193 Republicans. Now, 22 seats are still uncalled, according to AP. Democrats are leading in eight of those 22 races, and Republicans are leading in 14 of those races, or at least at the time I'm recording this podcast. So assuming the leading candidates in uncalled races win, then that would result in 228 Democratic House seats and 207 Republican House seats. Now, as expected, the Senate remains under GOP control. In the Senate, 35 of the 100 seats were up for election in Tuesday's elections. And of those 35 seats up for grabs, 26 of them were occupied by Democrats or independents who caucus with Democrats. Republicans have held a slim majority in the Senate. The current Senate has 51 Republicans 47 Democrats and two independents who do caucus with the Democrats. Now, Republicans will hold on to control of the Senate next year. Now, the new Senate will have at least 51 Republican seats and 44 Democratic seats and two independents. Now, the two independents are Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont and Angus King of Maine. Now, they generally vote with the Democrats, and they were both reelected. Now, I should note, I say a minimum of 44 Democratic seats because we recently Uh, saw that Montana Democratic Senator John Tester leads Republican State Auditor Matt Rosendale, and that race has been called for Senator John Tester. So that leaves three uncalled seats or uncalled races, Florida, Mississippi, and Arizona. Now, all three of these races, Republicans lead. In Florida, Republican Governor Rick Scott is narrowly leading incumbent Democratic Senator Bill Nelson by 0.4%, and Nelson is called for a recount. In Mississippi, incumbent Republican Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith was uh, elected to run in the runoff, and she'll be running against Democrat Mike Espy in this November 27th runoff, and Senator Hyde-Smith is favored to win. She's the Republican. She's favored to win the runoff in Mississippi. And then turning to Arizona, Republican Representative Martha McSally is leading Democratic Rep Kristen Sinema by less than 1%, with almost all precincts reporting. So if Republicans do end up 
holding or taking over Florida, Mississippi, and Arizona, then they would end up having a 54-seat majority, 54 to 46, when you include the Democrats and the two independents that vote together. So, in summary, the Democrats control the House and the Republicans control the Senate. So where does that leave key leadership positions? Let's look at the House first. Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi of California has said that she's interested in the job that she held from 2007 to 2011, namely Speaker of the House. More than 50 Democratic congressional candidates, though, did say before the election that they would not support Pelosi as House Speaker or that they believe new leadership is necessary. This is according to an NBC News survey of the candidates and public statements by the candidates. That said, many expect Pelosi to reclaim her role as House Speaker, despite some party dissent. Now, there are two elections that Pelosi must win in order to become House Speaker in the 116th Congress. Now, first, she must win a majority of House Democrats in their leadership caucus election. She would need the majority from both re-elected members and incoming representative elects. That election has tentatively been scheduled for November 28th or the 29th, this according to Democratic sources. And then second, she must receive at least 218 votes by all House members in a public roll call election on the floor of the House on January 3rd. That second election is expected to be the more challenging election. Now why? Well, all House Republicans would generally be expected to vote for their leader, their Republican leader which would mean that Pelosi would need to get 218 House Democrats to vote for her. So what would happen if Pelosi didn't drum up enough support to be House Speaker? Well, if she didn't have enough Democratic votes, you might see Donald Trump urging House Republicans to vote for Pelosi. I'll also note current Democratic whip, Representative Steny Hoyer of Maryland, said he would run for Speaker if Pelosi didn't get enough votes. Assistant Democratic leader Jim Clyburn of South Carolina is also interested in the position. After that, the field op it remains open for a dark horse candidate. But most likely, uh, you'll expect to see Pelosi as Speaker, Hoyer would become Majority Leader, and Clyburn would be the Majority Whip. Now with Republicans moving to the minority in the House, the House Republican Minority Leader would likely be current Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy, or potentially current majority whip Steve Scalise of Louisiana. House Freedom Caucus founder Jim Jordan of Ohio is likely to challenge McCarthy in the House Republican Conference leadership election, but Representative Jordan is not expected to win. Now Scalise would likely only compete for the position if McCarthy wasn't likely to receive a majority of the votes. Which all this means, if Pelosi becomes speaker and McCarthy becomes minority leader, then the top Democrat and Republican in the House will both be representatives from California. House and Senate Republican leadership elections will be held next Wednesday, November 14th. That date was scheduled regardless as to whether Republicans held on to the House or the Senate. So speaking of Senate elections, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell isn't facing a term limit on his role. So barring anything unexpected, McConnell will lead the Republican conference for the fifth consecutive Congress. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer of New York will likely remain in his position. Now, Senator John Cornyn of Texas is term-limited as Republican whip, and many expect Senator John Thune of South Dakota to take over the whip role. 
Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois is expected to stay the Democratic minority whip. So those are the likely leaders of the House and the Senate. Now let's look at leadership and membership changes in specific committees. And let's start with Ways and Means in the House, the Tax Writing Committee in the House. Ways and Means Committee Ranking Member Richard Neal will take over as chairman, while current chairman Kevin Brady likely moves over to become the ranking member. Representative Neal is the lead House Democratic co-sponsor of the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act and the New Markets Tax Credit Extension Act. Now, I expect that Representative Neal will move long-term housing tax credit and new market tax credit legislation to the front burner in the next Congress. All of the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act provisions and new market tax credit permanence legislation are probably not on the table for a lame duck session. However, what's more likely is some of the provisions in those bills could be included in such legislation. And we expect in a lame duck session serious consideration being given to enacting a minimum 4% low-income housing tax credit percentage and a one-year or perhaps multi-year extension of the new markets tax credit. Now, one thing we knew going into the election was that regardless of the outcome, the House Ways and Means Committee itself would look very different in the next Congress. We knew this due to retirement, lost primaries, or campaigns to run for other offices. That said, the following members of the committee will not return next year. Sam Johnson of Texas, Dave Reichert of Washington, Lynn Jenkins of Kansas, Diane Black of Tennessee, Jim Renacy of Ohio, and Christy Nome of South Dakota all because they lost primaries, retired, or are campaigning for their offices. And on the Democratic side, we knew Sandy Levitt of Michigan and Joe Crowley of New York were not returning. But those aren't the only members of the committee that aren't returning. Four Republicans seeking re-election lost their races. They were Peter Roscom of Illinois, Eric Paulson of Minnesota, Carlos Corbello of Florida, and Mike Bishop of Michigan. Now, Corbello you may know, is the lead House Republican sponsor of the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act. Therefore, a new lead House Republican sponsor will need to be identified. Now, one candidate for that is Representative Kenny Marchant of Texas. The size of the Ways and Means Committee and the party ratio are subject to renegotiation by House leadership. But assuming they'll continue the current relationship, then you'd expect there to be 24 seats for the majority and 16 seats for the minority. That means there'll need to be 10 Democrats and two Republicans added to the committee. Now, the following House Democrats are among the initial early candidates for the available committee seats. Marcia Fudge of Ohio, Dan Kilday of Michigan, Cedric Richmond of Louisiana, and Hakeem Jeffries of New York. And on the Republican side, under consideration, Andy Barr of Kentucky, Drew Ferguson of Georgia, Mike Johnson of Louisiana, and David Kustoff of Tennessee. Now let's look at the House Ways and Means Committee's counterpart in the Senate, the Senate Finance Committee. Committee Chairman Orrin Hatch of Utah will retire at the end of this current Congress. Now, Chairman Hatch is a great advocate for the long-term housing tax credit and affordable housing more broadly. As you know, he is the lead Senate Republican sponsor of a bill with Senate Finance Committee member Maria Cantwell of Washington to expand and enhance the long-term housing tax credit. That bipartisan bill is the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act. This bill has 40 co-sponsors, many of whom are Senate Finance Committee members. So, who will take Hatch's place on the committee after he retires? Well, Senator Todd Young of Indiana is a leading candidate to be added to the committee. Senator Young was an original co-sponsor of the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act, 
Now, also under consideration for a seat on the Senate Finance Committee are Senators Cory Gardner of Colorado, Steve Daines of Montana, and Deb Fisher of Nebraska, who was, by the way, just reelected. Now, there's also the crucial question as to who will take Hatch's place as committee chairman. Chuck Grassley of Iowa and Mike Crapo of Idaho are two possible candidates for chairmanship of the Senate Finance Committee. Now, Grassley has the most seniority on the committee, and he does have two years left in his term limit as Finance Committee chairman. Now, if he does decide to relinquish the Judiciary Committee gavel, then he will reclaim the top seat in the Finance Committee. But if Grassley remains atop the Judiciary Committee, then I do expect to see Senator Crapo give up his Banking Committee gavel, chairmanship gavel, to become the Finance Committee chairman. Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon, a Democrat, will remain as the committee's ranking member. Senator Wyden, by the way, is an original co-sponsor of the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act. Now, the actual membership of the Senate Finance Committee won't change much after the midterm elections. Of the 27 committee members, there were 11 up for re-election this year, including 10 Democrats. Now, two committee members lost their race, Democrat Senator Claire McCaskill and Republican Senator Dean Heller of Nevada. And, as I mentioned previously, Senator Nelson is trailing Scott, and if that race is called, then a third committee member may not return for the 116th Congress. The rest of the Senate Finance Committee membership is, that was up for re-election, I should note, did win the re-election races. Now let's look away from the tax writing committees and look at the House Financial Services and Appropriations Committees. The House Financial Services Committee has jurisdiction over issues that relate to the economy, the banking system, housing, and more. The committee oversees HUD, Department of Housing and Urban Development, the Federal Reserve, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, parts of the Treasury Department, and more. The House Financial Services Committee will play a critical role in any effort to overhaul the banking regulatory system and oversight of HUD. With the Democrats taking control of the House in January, Current Financial Services Committee ranking member Maxine Waters of California is expected to become the chairwoman. Current committee chairman Jeb Henserling of Texas is retiring, so there will be a race for the Financial Services ranking member seat. Now, Representative Pat McHenry of North Carolina is the leading candidate for that ranking member seat, but he could be challenged by Representatives Blaine Lukenmeyer of Missouri, Frank Lucas of Oklahoma, and Bill Hudson-Heidzinger of Michigan. Also, Sean Duffy of Wisconsin may throw his hat in the ring. Now, current Housing and Insurance Subcommittee Ranking Member Emmanuel Cleaver of Missouri will likely become Subcommittee Chairman. With that, let's now look at the House Appropriations Committee. In the Appropriations Committee, Ranking Member Nita Lowy of New York is expected to become the Chairwoman. Meanwhile, Appropriations Committee Chairman Rodney Freelingheisen of New Jersey is retiring. There will likewise be a race for the Appropriations Committee ranking member position. The leading candidate there is Kay Granger of Texas. That said, she could be challenged by Tom Cole of Oklahoma or Tom Graves of Georgia. Now, another key Senate committee that's worth examining is the Senate Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs Committee. Now, there aren't many major leadership changes there. Now, assuming Grassley becomes the Finance Committee chairman, then Senator Crape will likely stay on as Banking Committee Chairman. Now, if Grassley does stay at Judiciary, then Crapo would become Finance Committee Chairman in all likelihood, and Senator Pat Toomey would become Banking Committee Chairman. Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio uh, did win re-election, and he'll remain Ranking Member. 
Now, turning to the Senate Appropriations Committee, Republican Senator Richard Shelby will remain chairman. Susan Collins of Maine is also expected to remain the Transportation HUD or T-HUD Appropriations Subcommittee Chairwoman. Senators Patrick Leahy and Jack Reed will remain as the top Democrats on the full committee and T-HUD subcommittee, respectively. So, in a nutshell, I just gave you the main committee changes for next Congress. Now let's talk a moment about what these coming changes mean for the future, starting with the lame duck session, the current Congress. Priority number one will be avoiding a government shutdown in four weeks. Lawmakers will need to address the seven remaining appropriations bills to make sure the government is funded past the December 7th extended funding date. December 7th is when the continuing resolution passed this fall expires. That's for seven-twelfths of the spending bills. Five-twelfths of the government wouldn't shut down. Now, the biggest obstacle to the consideration of those remaining seven spending bills, including the one funding the Homeland Security Department, is President Trump's priority to fund a border wall on the U.S.-Mexico border. Democrats are opposed. Now, Congress could punt the issue until January or February with another continuing resolution. Now, the other option would be to address fiscal year 2019 omnibus appropriations legislation during the lame duck session. Now, the appropriations bill, if it was considered and they didn't merely punt to early next year, the appropriations bill could be a vehicle for tax legislation. So, if it was, what are the major tax bills that the tax credit committee would like to see prioritized? Well, they would certainly include the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act, the new Marcus Tax Credit Extension Act, the Rural Jobs Act, the Historic Tax Credit Enhancement Act, and the Historic Tax Credit Improvement Act. Provisions of these bills would expand and or significantly improve critical tax incentives. Now, it's unlikely any of these bills will pass individually during a lame duck session, but we could see them added to other bills. Now, I noted the most likely or the best vehicle is likely appropriations legislation, but there are three other obvious vehicles for tax legislation should these vehicles move. One is a technical tax corrections bill to address drafting errors in the 2017 tax bill. The second legislative vehicle for tax legislation would be tax extenders. The third would be tax reform 2.0, especially the portions on retirement and savings reforms. So what's the most logical vehicle for some tax credit legislation? I would say it's the technical corrections bill. With the Republicans being highly motivated to get a technical corrections bill enacted before they relinquish control of the House, there could theoretically be an opportunity for negotiations. One item of particular concern deals with what's called the retail glitch, something that limits the ability of retail companies to expense improvements, tenant improvements in particular. Now, there's a chance that Democrats will push for a 4% localizing tax credit minimum floor or a multi-year extension of the new market tax credit uh, or both, uh, in consideration for this broader tax bill that did make some tax technical corrections. Now let's talk about what lies ahead for the new Congress when it convenes in January. We can expect Democrats to use their control of the House to create a messaging platform for the 2020 presidential campaign. With the Senate and White House still controlled by Republicans, House Democrats next year will be fighting an uphill battle to get legislation enacted. However, House Democratic leaders can put a spotlight on their legislative priorities. They can also hold many oversight hearings, floor votes on key bills, and put pressure on Republicans to go on the record as voting for or against certain issues. So, what are the Democratic priorities? 
Well, we'll likely see legislation roll back provisions of the Republicans' 2017 tax reform package. There could be a Democratic proposal to raise the corporate tax rate and perhaps place additional taxes on wealthy taxpayers. Now, as I said, the Republican Senate and White House will almost certainly block any legislation to undo GOP tax reform. But the fact remains that Democrats can introduce legislation that will appeal to their voter base in the year 2020. Other Democratic priorities could include expanding tax cuts for the middle class and pushing a carbon tax. That said, one bipartisan issue could be a vehicle for tax incentive legislation. It's an issue that's shared by Republican and Democrats. It's support for transportation and infrastructure improvements. With Representative Neal as Ways and Means Chairman, there's a good chance that he'll push to include localizing tax credit and new market tax credit provisions in such a larger infrastructure package, as well as potentially renewable energy, stroke preservation, and other similar infrastructure-related incentives. Now, as always, elections are good reminders as to how important it is to continue advocating for affordable housing, community development, and historic preservation. And I'd certainly include on that list support for renewable energy as well. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Now, the coming weeks and months ahead will shed more light on the issues discussed in today's podcast, as well as provide greater clarity as to predictions made. Please be sure to tune in to Tax Credit Tuesday every week as I continue to share insights to keep our clients and prospective clients informed on tax credit matters. And like I always say, please send your thoughts and questions to us. You can send an email to cpas at novaco.com or send a tweet and include the hashtag at Novagratic. Depending upon the questions and thoughts, if it's important enough for a future podcast, I'll be sure to include it. And if you're not subscribed to the Novagratic Tax Credit Tuesday podcast, I invite you to do so. You can find us on iTunes as well as at www.novaco.com podcast. And if you like these podcasts, I'd encourage you to give us a rating and a review on iTunes. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This midterm election edition of Tax Credit Tuesday has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company. A new Tax Credit Tuesday podcast episode is available every Tuesday at www.novaco.com podcast and on iTunes. You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at www.novaco.com slash podcast. Novogratic is a national professional services organization that provides services that include certified public accounting, valuation, and consulting. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com slash services.